Hey, if you have uh, uh, been visiting or, or you're new today, we've been going over Romans 8. We have 39 verses in Romans 8 that are pretty powerful. Some scholars would say that this is the greatest chapter written out of all, in all 66 books. Uh, the reason why they say that is because in 39 verses, you will see that it's sufficient for salvation and sanctification. Scholars believe that you can rip this page out of the Bible, hand it to anyone, anywhere, and they will, they will know all they need to know about Christ, about themselves, about sanctification, and about salvation. So we've been breaking it apart. Our connect groups have been going through that as well. There's been great conversation, great testimony. Uh, what I said when I originally started the sermon, um, this was a, um, a mirror here that was not shattered. And I talked about how in Genesis, God created us to reflect his image. And it was pure. It was not tainted. A pure reflection. Uh, and if you remember, I broke it, given the imagery of what sin did, and it marred the image so that when we looked at it, you can still see remnants of his likeness and image, but now it's marred and it's shattered and broken. And what was stolen um, in, the, in the fall in Genesis 3, where we talked about the battle of our minds and now depression, anxiety, and mental illness and suicide attempt is there. Um, in the thoughts of suicide, we talked about love and how the purity of love and God's design for love had been distorted. And today we're going to talk about um, when there was the garden, there was pure bliss and pure joy. Um, There's no imperfections. There was no suffering or hint of suffering. When sin came in, now there is suffering. And uh, today I want to share with you, which is near and dear to my heart, which it all is, um, this idea of suffering. I want to share something with you because um, for me, when I first became a Christian, I fell into what's called the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel told me that um, I'm, if I'm a Christian who's following God and being faithful, well, then I can escape suffering in this world. Uh, the problem was, the, while the prosperity gospel is laying that out, um, I'm sitting here believing it and I'm listening to sermons and I had a social media theology, which means I only listened to clip, clips. I never picked up the Bible and found out for myself who God was. And so I let everybody else tell me. And the people I was listening to and the pastors were saying, um, listen, God wants you to be rich. He wants you to prosper. He doesn't want you to get sick. And if you're dealing with these things, it's because you haven't sown a seed in faith. It's because you haven't done this. It's because you haven't done. So here's what I end up believing. Um, you, you take that um, mixed with all the religions I had in my life. I was um, in my house. We had... Um, um, Virgin Mary candles with rosary beads. Um, we had Buddha, um, and we had little rabbit's foot that you rub for good luck. So that was, literally, that was in my house, and I didn't know which God was more powerful, but I thought if I combine them, I'll have a lot of power that way. And so um, I, when I became a Christian, my theology was still, it was, it was out of sort. I had to undo what I was allowed to be put in me as a kid, and so here's what I began to believe, which led to great misery. I thought that you only suffer if God is punishing you or you only suffer if he's about to reward you. It's da- Let me just tell you, that's dangerous theology. Absolutely dangerous. So I'm going to share with you before I get in the text three lies that I believe and I know I'm not the only one. And here's what I want to share with you today. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer, uh, but, but here's what I need to share with you because of what happened in the fall. Um, every single person in this room will suffer. You're like, eek, we should have went to the church up the road, I told you, you know. 
Is there a restroom break? Um, but, but I have to be honest with you, and this is why I have to be honest with you, um, because um, we're going to suffer because of the fall, which means we're going to have either mental illness, we're going to have depression, we're going to have negative thoughts, we're going to have thoughts we shouldn't have, or we're going to have broken relationships, love is going to be distorted, there's going to be suffering. This word suffering just means this pain and hardship in life. Here's what I do know, that while we don't enjoy it, you can't escape it. Example, you don't believe me, raise your hand if you've ever experienced any kind of suffering, pain, or hardship in your life. Okay, keep your hand up. This may seem elementary to some of you. If your hand is not up, I love you, but get ready. <laughs> right? Man, I wish it wasn't the case. I wish I could come up here and tell you, hey, if you sow a seed, if you come to church, you will escape all hardship. But I will be setting you up for great disappointment, great failure, and I'll set you up to be serving a false god. So I have to tell you the truth, and it's in Scripture, and here's what I've recognized. Because I thought, man, I thought if I tithe over and beyond, I thought I was doing these things to escape pain. And I, and I was doing these things to escape suffering. And line number one that I believe, that I'm probably not alone, is here's what I thought. When I suffered, line number one, I thought God is punishing me. I thought that if things were hard, God was mad. If things were hard, then God was mad. If something didn't go my way, then God was mad and angry at me. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but as, as a kid when I was growing up, I was a Christer Catholic, which means I went on Christmas and Easter. <laughs> a Christer Catholic. I don't know if that's theologically correct. I just made it up, but I was a Christer Catholic. And, and, and so here's what I believe. Like, hey, you better put a dollar in the tithing bucket or God's going to punish you. Hey, you better not do something wrong or God is going to punish you. And so as a little kid, I waited for this huge fist to come out of the sky and like punch, punch me if I did something wrong. So I lived in fear to mess up all the time. I lived in fear of messing up that I finally got tired of living in fear of messing up. So I decided just to mess up, to break that fear of messing up. You ever been there? Like, you know what? I'm tired of being perfect. I'm going to be imperfect because it feels good. That's kind of what I went through. But the, the lie I believed was if I'm not perfect, God will punish me. And if I'm suffering, God will punish me. And, and, and let me just tell you, there's this Christian um, karma that we can tend to believe. For example, if things are hard, we want to make sense of our suffering. Therefore, if we are not careful, we, we need to tie it to something in order to make sense of our suffering, right? We tend to want to tie it to something that we did so that at least in the midst of our suffering, it makes more sense. God is, for example, God must be punishing me because of my sin. This makes sense. When I was in college, I was a great, great sinner. So now as a 38-year-old, he's punishing me because of what I did in college. That's a Christian karma mentality that is not true. And so let me free you up. Here's the easiest way to look at this. Right now in your life, whatever you're suffering from, here's what I do believe, that your suffering can be tied to your sin, no doubt. No doubt, but it's always directly tied to your sin. It doesn't pop up in another form. So if you decided one Sunday not to go to church and you, God forbid, got in a car accident, you would be tempted to think, God has punished me for not going to church. I should have went to church. No, that is not God. That is Satan. God doesn't work that way. Okay, that, that, that's this legalism that Satan imputes in our minds and we begin to be scared of everything that we do. Now, if you sin in an area, you can usually tie your sin directly to that area and think, yep, I'm suffering because of what I did. So there's, you suffer directly attached to your sin, um, but he, and then you suffer even for being faithful. 
okay? So there's two kinds of suffering, suffering for faithfulness and suffering for your sinfulness. And we got to figure out which one we are living in. But in order to suffer well, you have to know God well. Because if you don't know God well, you will not suffer well. If you don't know God well, you will not suffer well because you will be tempted to think that God is mad at you, your heart will become bitter, you will become frustrated, and you will sin in the midst of your suffering. If you don't know God well, you will sin in the midst of your suffering. But if you know God well, you will suffer well. Here's what I have recognized in my life. Here's what's true in your life. You cannot dictate and are responsible for the fruit of your suffering, but you are responsible for the faithfulness in the midst of your suffering. You understand what I'm saying? The fruit is up to God. The faithfulness is up to you. You are responsible for the faithfulness in the midst of your suffering. He is responsible for the fruit. And so line number one, do not think that God is punishing you because things are hard. Things are just hard because we live in a broken world. That's why things are hard. Line number two, which is probably extreme misery, um, is that God has left you. There's probably... Not anything more miserable than to think that God, the creator, has left you because he doesn't like you or he's mad at you. And let me just tell you, in the midst of your suffering, you will be void of all emotion, all goosebumps. You will be numb to God and the things of God because you are in such darkness and such suffering that you can't see the light of day and you can't see the work of God. So you begin to question whether that God is even there because if God was here, this wouldn't be happening. So you begin to think, God must have left me. So in your suffering, your suffering is enhanced because you think you're left alone in the midst of your suffering. Let me tell you something. God has done some of the sweetest work in my life and in my heart when I was void, when I was empty, broken, and depressed, and suicidal. He swooped in to let me know that you have nothing else you can depend on. It's like God stripped me of all idols in my life that I did not know were were idols, and he came in and said, I'm all you need, and I'm all you got. He does something sweet in the midst of our suffering. But here's the thing that I recognize about Christians is that sometimes we are so spoiled in the world that we live in that we cannot taste of his goodness. We are not desperate enough uh, to want him because we have too much of this stuff on earth. Therefore, the stuff on earth we use as a substitute for him in heaven. Praise God when he removes the stuff in our lives here on earth so we can crave what he has for us in heaven. Like, praise God. So in my suffering, I have suffered and I have sinned in my suffering. It doesn't go well, by the way. But then I have also, I have also been faithful in my suffering. And oh, man, I have met him in such a sweet way that I could have never met him before. And I wouldn't trade it. You know what I'm talking about if you've been there. Like, ooh, I hated it. Oh, I questioned your love for me. Oh, I questioned whether or not you were even real. But man, now that I'm standing up and strong and see the fruit in my life, I'll take it because you gave me a spiritual six-pack out of that boot camp. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So you have to suffer well and you have to recognize even when it's hard. See, I'm so afraid that even in this church that sometimes we dictate whether or not and we think whether or not God is moving based off of goosebumps and emotions. And then goosebumps and emotions become your idol for whether or not God is real and exists. So you think if you don't get goosebumps, then God wasn't here today. Or if you don't get emotional, God wasn't here today. Let me just tell you, God is much greater than emotions and goosebumps. 
He is consistent and he is here whether or not we get goosebumps. But, but if we're not careful, like we just, we want an emotional arousal when he's saying, you know what, that's been your God. So I'm not going to let you get that for a while so that you get just excited about who I am and not look for this emotional feeling because your emotions are so bipolar that if that's your God, then you're going to be doing this in life. And that's no God at all. Doing too much preaching. Let me reel it in a little bit. And then here, which this one, lie number three, which absolutely just gets me. And man, I cannot, I fell for this. I know people mean well sometimes, but when you're in the midst of your suffering, when people will say, hey, um, if you're suffering, it means that something good is coming around the corner. Tell that to the person who uh, lost a family member to cancer who never recovered. Tell that to the person who lost a family member to COVID who never recovered. That if you're suffering, something good is around the corner. That God must have a reward and blessing for you. Let me share something with you. God doesn't owe you anything. If God decides to bless us, he does it in spite of us, not because of us. So for us to be glory thieves, to think that we did something for that God to bless us only steals his glory and his power. Because you and I both know that there have been moments in our lives where we were not faithful at all. And in his kindness and goodness, he didn't throw us away. He didn't punish us. He didn't shame us. In the midst of our unfaithfulness, he still came through. So how dare us try to take credit for that? If he wants to bless us, it will be in spite of us, not because of us. Story of Job, he blessed Job. Praise God, that is awesome. The story of Paul, the story of Peter, the story of Jesus, they suffered and were crucified. I don't know what he'll do in your life, but I know you're responsible for the faithfulness. And he's responsible for the fruitfulness. So suffer well. And don't sin in your suffering. We're going to hear from Paul today. And let me tell you why I love this guy. Because um, he understands suffering. And I love, I love, um, I love in, in Acts chapter 16. We're going to be in Romans 8. But just listen to Acts chapter 16. This is the guy we're going to learn from today. Um, Paul is laboring and he is being faithful as can be. You talk about faithful. He is being faithful to God. And he is laboring and he's planting churches and he's preaching the word and he's getting opposition and he's getting, he's getting persecuted. He's getting all kinds of stuff. Paul ends up in the place, uh, which this totally trumps prosperity gospel. Paul is being faithful. He ends up in the jail and um, falsely accused. And here's what he says in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. So, in other words, um, they were being faithful, they were suffering, and instead of saying, oh, poor me, where you at, God? No, instead, like, they were in the middle of the prison suffering, and, and they could have been, I don't know if it was hard for them, but I do know what Scripture says, that they were singing hymns. I wish I could have been there when they were singing hymns. I don't know if they were singing Maverick City. I don't know if they were singing uh, Brandon Lake, Elevation, Justin Bieber. I don't know what they were singing, but I promise you, in the middle of their suffering, um, they began to sing about him, about his power. They took their eyes off their suffering that consumed them, and they looked at him, how great thou art. I don't know what they sang, but they were just like, how great thou art. You are amazing. You are powerful. They began to sing in the midst of their suffering. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever been like, man, I can't take this anymore, so you turn on a good old song. 
And it's just like your circumstances don't change, but your perspective does. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, man, I just, five minutes ago, I didn't want to live. Five minutes ago, I questioned his existence. And now I'm up here singing, how great thou art. You are so good. And if nothing changes, you are still so good. This is what Paul and Silas were doing. They learned to sing in their suffering. And let me tell you the response. God didn't have to do it, but he chose to do it. Here's what happened. They were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfasted. So in other words, they're sitting here. They're, they're suffering for being faithful. They're in prison. Um, experiencing injustice and they don't know what to do because their circumstance doesn't look great. So they think we're suffering, so we'll sing. We'll know all that we know how to do. We're void of resources, so we will sing. In the midst of their singing, God brings this supernatural earthquake and and does something miraculous where everyone knows these people are of the true and one God. Listen, I do not know what God can and will do if he chooses to do it in the midst of our suffering while we'll sing. But if they got to experience that while they were singing in their suffering, well, you'll catch me singing singing when I'm suffering. I mean, if, if that's the result, give me some of that. God, I want to experience you. And even if it's in the middle of my own sin because I messed up, or even if it's the middle of people hurting me, or even if it's the middle of just life, I'm going to sing in my suffering. That's the kind of guy I want to learn from. In Romans 8, he tells us why we should sing in the midst of our suffering. And I want you to listen to this. Romans 8, he begins to talk to us. Um, about why we sing in the midst of our suffering. If you want to sing, why do we sing in the midst of your suffering? If you're in here today and you're suffering, how do we get to singing? And if children, this is recapping from last week, and if children, then heirs. So if you're a child of God, then you are an heir, okay? Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So now think about the people who are saying, man, this is awesome. We're heirs with God and heirs of Christ, What's his is mine, what's mine is his. We're one. This is unbelievable. And then he gives them the other side of the news, which debunks any kind of other gospel. Provided we suffer. ruh <laughs> Know what I'm saying? Like, whoa, whoa, can we skip over that part? Provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. So, watch this. Um, you become a child... You become an heir, but what means that you're an heir is that you have to suffer, that you're going to suffer here on this broken, in this broken world. When you suffer, don't worry, because there is a blessing that comes with the suffering. There's a blessing that comes with the suffering. There's a blessing that comes with the suffering. What's the blessing? That we will be glorified with him. Now, what does this mean? Well, first of all, to be very clear, in order to be glorified with him, You have to be justified in him. You can't be glorified unless you've been justified. So now he's setting this up here, and he's telling the people, you're going to suffer. And they're thinking, Debbie Downer, in order that we may be glorified. So like, oh, we're going to suffer, but you're saying we're going to be glorified with him? What does this look like? So Paul says this. Let me show you what it looks like. If you want to sing in the midst of your suffering, let me share this with you. He says, for I consider... Uh, this word consider in the Greek means that he, he paused long enough. He looked at all of his suffering. Okay, so think about this. Today in this room, 
we have all suffered. So let's just put this on the table. Um, suffering from marriage, suffering from churches, suffering from uh, mental illness, suffering from divorce, suffering from miscarriages, suffering from whatever is broken in this world, loss of a loved one. We're suffering. We can all agree with that. And Paul says, I took a look at this. I considered it. This word in the Greek means he weighed it out. He compared it to something else. He's saying, this is how bad life is, and I'm not disputing that it's bad. It's hard, and the pain is real. He's not disputing that. He's saying, this is hard. It's real. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, he says that he despaired of life itself. So he understands what it means to feel like he doesn't want to live anymore because life is hard. So he's saying, I, I compared it, I consider the pain and my suffering that I'm experiencing. It's real, here it is, I considered it. I considered that the sufferings of this present time, meaning the suffering of today, the suffering that you're going to experience, here's what he says, are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed. So there's this comparison he does. The present suffering today, whatever you have in your hand, compare this. How do we have a future hope? Compare your present suffering to what? With the glory that is going to be revealed to us. So there is a comparison here. There is the current suffering that you will experience. And he says, but I'm I'm comparing it to something. What are you comparing it to? I'm comparing it to the future that's going to be revealed to us. And when I compare it, man, my pain is worth the glorification that's coming. Like everything I'm going through is going to be worth it today. Let me give you an example. Um... When, when he talks about, watch this, not worth co- uh, comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed, it means that there's this anticipation. There's anticipation for something to be revealed, right? Watch this. For the creation waits with eager longing. The creation waits with eager longing. This phrase, eager longing, in the Greek, this is so cool, it means that literally creation, what God has created is waiting on the little tippy toes just like this in anticipation for what's about to come. This is what the Greek means. That creation is waiting with anticipation, okay? Now, why are they waiting with anticipation? For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? The children of God. If you're in here and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's you. Now, um, what happened... Let's go here. There's a lot of stuff here, but listen. For the creation was subjected to futility. Okay, this word futility, it means in the original language that something that was created and can no longer function in its original design. So what he is saying is creation, when he created it, because of sin, is now subjected to futility, which means it can no longer function fully the way God has created it. And he subjected it to it. How do we know this is true? Genesis chapter 3. There's a lot of meat. Just listen. Genesis chapter 3. After the sin happened, things were broken. And he said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not, shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust. And to dust you will return. Before the sin, humanity, we're going to live forever. Adam and Eve are going to live forever. 
Sin happened. Now Jesus, God is saying, hey, look, um, you're going to go back to the dust because of your sin. Now you have an expiration date on you because of sin. Here's what he says. Uh, Before Adam and Eve, when they would eat, they would eat off the tree, pick off fruit. It was easy. Just didn't take any work just to go do this. When sin entered, now um, scripture says that thorns and thistles will come out of the ground. So anytime you prick your um, little toe or finger on the thorn or thistle, it's a consequence of the fall. So he's saying now creation is going to work against you and you have to work harder for its fruit. Why did this happen? Because of sin. The created order, watch this, created order was Adam and Eve, humanity, right? Divinity, humanity, creation. Divinity, humanity, creation. We were supposed to govern creation, right? We weren't supposed to be running from lions. Can you imagine that? Like just riding around on a lion? <laughs> Where are you going today? Last chance, what you got? You want to come? I'm on the lion. Like, there is this order that God created. When sin came in, this order messed it all up. And so now he's saying this order is messed up and God has subjected to futility, meaning creation can no longer produce what God wants it to produce. You can do research. We can look at global warming. We can do all this and all these things are important, but we cannot work against what God has designed. This is part of the fall, part of the consequence. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. So our earth... Natural disasters, what we see, tornadoes, floods, this is all part of the fall. And and it's not getting better, it's getting worse. And where's the destination for creation? Corruption. And it's in bondage to it. Okay? So, I think I, 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 hopefully it was clear enough. So when he says this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Um... The imagery that it's using is that um, on the day that Christ comes back, all of creation, this is what blows my mind, is we often wait for things in the world to get better. You ever done that? Like, when is this going to become a better place? According to the scripture, the world is waiting on us. Whoa. The world is waiting on us. And the scripture is saying that the world is waiting for the revealing of the sons. You know what this is like? It's like when I got married and those doors open and I saw my wife. I was like, wow. Whoa. Hey. <laughs> but you know why that moment was so enhanced and intensified and, and exciting? And I'll tell you why. Um, because uh, up to that point, um, and, and if you're single in here, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, if you're single in here, you ever just get tired of being single? Amen, <laughs> that girl's dancing. Why are you dancing over there? You like, you like being single? And it's okay if you do. I didn't. And, um, and I remember, like, and I hated being single. And I wanted to get married. And I wanted to have kids. And I remember there were so many lonely nights where I'd go to bed and be like, why are you booing? Are you out there somewhere? <laughs> and, you know, like I watched a notebook by myself. And <laughs> I'd hug my pillow like, one day I'm going to have a boo. 
And I drive around, like, you ever drive around if you're single and you just sing love songs to you don't know who? Like, you just sing them, thinking maybe one day I'll be singing them to somebody? Boys to Men, I mean, I had it on repeat. Usher, I mean, I was just like, I was, my heart was in it. Frank Sinatra, Luther Vandross, I mean, I was, mm. And I remember creating this desire even more so, and it created this craving in me. And I just would get so frustrated. And then I was in my friend's wedding, and if I'm being honest, I'm like, man, like, I'm just going to be honest. Like, this sucker's ugly. How was he married before me? <laughs> you ever thought that? Can I get real? You ever thought that? Maybe in my humanity, like, I can't believe pastor said that. Well, you know what? It was where I was then, okay? <laughs> but I remember just, like, everything in me, and, man, I had so many lonely nights wishing I can stay up and Nobody, you know, beat my beeper. Nobody was trying to get a hold of me. Flip phone, nothing. Just like, I was lonely. And there were times where I'm so grateful to God where I try to rush his plan for my life. And I thought, well, I just, I'm tired of waiting. So I'm just going to date whoever, whoever's interested in me, God, because I'm tired of waiting. And people probably did that to me. And, I, man... That longing was just there, and there was this suffering of loneliness for me. Then your boy starts going bald, looking like a chia pet. I mean, I had all kinds of stuff going on. I had my own little sufferings. But, but, when, when, when I stood at the altar... This is difficult to do because there's a gentleman standing right there. But if he moves out the way, but when I, <laughs> he's not moving. This is weird. But, but when I stood, he never moved. But uh, when I stood at the altar and, and waited for my wife and those doors opened up and I saw my wife. I said, girl, my present sufferings don't even compare to when that door opened up in this future glory with you, girl. I was, listen, I would take 28 years of loneliness and do it again if it means waiting for my wife, for her, the woman who loves Jesus, the woman that I will serve with, the woman that I will serve God with, the woman that I will raise warriors with. I will do those lonely nights over again, and I will go through depression, and I will question God's love for me. I will do it all again. If it means that when those doors open, I get you. What Paul is saying is that your present sufferings here on earth won't even compare to when those doors open up one day. Because when those doors open up one day, you know what they're excited about? This is what blows my mind. When those doors open up one day, it says that the creation, it's like creation is going to be sitting. If you've ever been at a wedding, it's like you wait with anticipation. Remember, eager longing with anticipation, waiting on something. Creation waits for something with eager longing. What are they waiting on? On the revealing of the children of God. Who are the children of God? We are the children of God, which means we are the bride of Christ. That one day before Jesus before God that Jesus awaits his bride and we are his bride and all of creation will wait for us and I don't care what you feel about yourself or what you tell yourself or what people have told you God does not have an ugly bride and that when those doors open up 
we will be revealed. What? Why? Why? Why would you want us like that, God? Why would you love us like that? But I guarantee you, child of God in this room, if this is only true for children of God in this room today, if this scripture is true, I don't know what this day is going to be like. I have no clue. But it says that there is the redemption of our bodies, which means when we get to heaven, man, I, don't, I, don't, I do not know. I mean, will I be on a bike with just some long hair? I hope so. I hope you're like, isn't that Pastor Noe with that long hair? I... Here's, what I, here's what I do know. That the reason why today that we can, we can sing in the midst of our suffering, and I don't know how life's going to turn out, and I don't know if God's going to bless you for your suffering. I just don't know. But what I'll plead with you today is please be faithful in the midst of your suffering and let him take care of the fruit. Just please, please, church, be faithful. Why should we be faithful? Because your faithfulness matters. Your faithfulness matters. Your faithfulness matters. How can we gain hope in the midst of our suffering? How can we be like Paul and Silas and sing when things Things aren't going well. Here's why we can sing. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. That we in this room, and despite of all the junk that you have done and I have done, all the sin, all the poor mistakes, that there will be a day, if you are a child of God, that we will dwell with God. Can I just sit there for a moment? Because some of us are still looking for the goosebumps and the emotional arousal. Let me just tell you, we will dwell with God. And as much as I could not wait for my wife to be my wife and to cry with somebody while I watch the notebook... Can't imagine dwelling with God. Can't imagine him knowing everything about me and still loving me like the way he's going to love me. I can't imagine that he will never walk out on me. I can't imagine, I can't imagine that I'll be fully fulfilled and I'll no longer seek the affirmation of man, but I'll be sitting with my father. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, for he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Watch this, verse 4. God himself will be with them as their God. God himself, no other false idols, no other chasing things in this world. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning. No more broken relationships. No more divorce. No more wayward children. No more slander. No more lies. No more abuse. No more. No more. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed 
Why can you sing in the midst of your suffering today? Because this is our reality. If you're a child of God, that one day we will be revealed. We will celebrate. The angels in heaven will celebrate. And God will see us as his bride. And all creation will wait with anticipation for us. Poor, dirty me. And creation will celebrate me because of what Jesus has done. What a mighty God. What a mighty God. So how do we, man, how do we sing in the midst of our suffering? I didn't have a, uh, I didn't have the greatest parent moment Thursday. I don't have a lot of them, but um, my wife and I go uh, out to dinner. We get a sitter. I blow up the jumpy house in the back. And uh, I'm like, hey, here's some chicken nuggets. Go play. We'll be back in three hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we blow it up. Not really. They, we had cameras watching them, but we, um, we had the sitter. So the sitter calls us three hours later and says, hey, all the kids fell on your daughter's arm. And my daughter, uh, very fragile. Um, and, and so we get home. My daughter's like, I can't move it. I'm like, but why is your leg hurt? I don't get why the whole thing's messed up. <laughs> and and, and I, I love her. Um, she can be a little drama, to be honest. She, she's eight, can be a little drama. And so, you know, my background is uh, kinesiology, sports medicine. So I'm like, all right, hey, girl, daddy got this. You don't have to go play co- pay copay. I got it. Come here. So I get down, start filling out her arm. I'm like, you're good. Ain't nothing here, just a little sprain. You're good. So we send her to school. And then the teacher sends an email, like, hey, your daughter's arm's been hurting all day long. And I was like, oh, she's trying to go home early. She wants candy. What do you want, kid? Come on. So she comes home, and she gets home, and she's like, it just hurts here, here, and here, and just hurts everywhere. And I'm just like, okay, we're going to take her in. So my wife goes, and I had to sit in the car with the kids, and um, I'm waiting to hear the news. And my wife says, oh, no, it's broken in two places. I said, well, that was your fault. I was at work, girl. No. Um, (laughs) And, and so I think, oh, my goodness, we sent her to school. I gave her a lollipop. I called her a baby. What a, no, I did, I did not call her a baby, but I wanted to. I was thinking it. But I, I, just, I just thought, man, I feel so horrible. Like, man, I said, well, how is she doing? Is she, like, devastated, like, broke her arm in two places? Is she okay? And this is the video my wife sent me back. Time in forever, I'm gonna wear a cast for the first time in forever. It might be a blast. My friends get to write their names on my arm, and it will be a blast for the first time in forever. I'm gonna wear a cast for the. I was like, well, I want a second opinion because all that doesn't look broken. Like, <laughs> just tell now you know why I didn't think it was broken. And man, like, she's eight, and it was so sweet. Like, no doubt she had the pain. We saw it. It's her little form of suffering. But what I learned about my little eight year old while I'm prepping this sermon, I love how God does this, is that she knew she couldn't escape the suffering. So she embraced it. And look to her little future glory. What was her little future glory? For the first time in forever, 
and she could not stop talking about people signing her cast. Dad, you know how cool this is going to be? They're going to sign my cast. Dad, you want to sign it? That was the thing she's holding on to that'll get her through her suffering and her broken arm. Listen, we have something we can hold on to. You, you want to talk about singing in the midst of your suffering? That little girl was singing in the midst of her suffering. So I know it's possible. I know that when we're feeling broken, I know that when we're feeling lonely, I know that when we're hurting, I know that when we're suffering, I know that when things have happened to us or things that we have done, I know that I know that I know that singing in the midst of our suffering is possible. I know that. And I know that I know that I know that just like Paul and Silas in Acts 16 and just like my eight-year-old daughter, it will change the way you suffer. And when you sing in your suffering, you will learn how to suffer well. Praise God for my eight-year-old daughter who's teaching me how to suffer well. So my encouragement to you, no doubt, I know many of you are suffering for all different kinds of reasons. My encouragement to you is please, I plead with you as your pastor, suffer well, please. Don't sin in your suffering, in your bitterness, and in your anger. Don't sin. Please do not sin because it'll enhance that suffering. It'll intensify that suffering. It'll prolong the suffering, please. But what you can do is suffer well and put your eyes on Jesus and sing whatever you have to sing so it changes your perspective. And out of your singing, I don't know what he will do, but I promise you when you sing, it'll change the way you view yourself, your circumstance. It'll change the way you view him. So learn to sing in your suffering. Sing in your suffering.